Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. This is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So beautiful and weird. So we're doing a little bit of a flip-flop this week. Jeremy actually wrote a story. (laughs) Yeah. So he's going to be telling us this, me the story. Yeah. Plus all of you guys. First of all, all, I just want to say, I don't know how you do it every week. It's crazy. (laughs) I was supposed to record this episode, I think, two weeks ago? Yes. (laughs) So... But I feel like I kind of got it together, so hopefully you guys like it. Good, and I'm trying to release all of my control freak tendencies <laughs> that I don't know what's going on or yeah. have no... Yeah. yeah. So I guess first of all, I just wanted to kind of talk about everything that's that's going on. There's, you know, some civil unrest in, in different cities and states across the country right now from uh, George Floyd's death, and I think it's... The biggest thing that I see is is a sh- people showing a lack of compassion and not listening to what other people have to say. So I guess that's probably my biggest thing. If, if anybody out there, like, just, you know, every, every once in a while you need to shut up and listen to see and hear what other people are trying to say. And, and if it's actions or words or whatever, I mean, I don't condone you know, looting activities or whatever, but also, I mean, you got to understand the situation we, and, and, and we, how people. We understand where it comes where it comes from, and it comes from a place of hurt, and yeah. it comes from a place of grief. And one of the stages of grieving is anger, yeah. and I think that's where our country is right now in our. Um, you know, our stage of grief is anger. And I think that's where a lot of it is coming from. And we need to heal, but a lot of healing, it takes action and not just words. Yeah. And action is what we need right now. Yeah. So I think mostly, though, is what we want. We want to see action. We need to be better, especially for our black community. Um, and we just want minority communities, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. And um, we're just sending love out to everybody, and we just really want everybody to stay safe. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. Yeah. So we thought our biggest thing was for people to stay safe from coronavirus, and it's now become it's, so much more because 2020 is yeah. <laughs> crazy. Rearing its head. But yeah, stay so. safe means more than ever now. Yeah. But yeah, on that heavy note, we'll go into presidential trivia. Presidential trivia. Yeah. So and then Jeremy also has presidential trivia this week too. Hey, I come <laughs> up with presidential trivia every once in a Sometimes while. Sometimes you do. That's usually about you the do. extent of my contribu- contribution. So, uh, so for today. Who was the first president that had to address a UFO sighting? Ooh. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Stay tuned. The answer will be at the end of the show. All right. I can't wait. (laughs) So, all right. Um, So, with the quarantine, we've been... Spending a lot of time, you know, working from home, right. fortunately. And, uh, well, I think it was like week two, I convinced you to let me buy a couple bicycles and a, and a trailer for the kid. Yeah, I think I had a couple glasses of wine that I conceded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an exercise, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, anyways, riding bikes is pretty fun. It's It's been a good craze. I, I have enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Though he's taken me mountain biking a couple of times and I have... 
really messed up my ankle also. <laughs> But I can, I can, I can, I can write. I, I hear the screeching wheels. I can the, wreck a bike just riding on a flat surface. Yeah, yeah. So. so, anyways, so in 1866, Congress established six all-black regiments. Okay. And so this help, was after. Yeah, post. The Civil yeah, War? so to help rebuild the country after the Civil War, okay. which had just ended the year before. Um, the enlist positions were filled with black men, but the officer positions were typically held by white officers. Sure. Which I think was quite symbolic of our lack of progressive progression in civil rights after the Civil War. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of white people, especially after the Civil War, they were like, well, we gave you your freedom. What else do you want? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, these, these... Black regiments, um, they they gained this notoriety as buffalo soldiers. Okay. Uh, the term buffalo soldier was deemed originated from the American Indians, uh, likening the cavalry soldiers to the ferocity in battle, which reminded the Indians of the sacred animals, the buffalo. Um, it was a term of respect that many of the soldiers wore with pride. These men chose to enlist, especially after the Civil War, as a way to secure their freedom where they were able to receive regular pay, housing, regular meals, all while having the opportunity to explore the West and travel abroad. Uh, black soldiers have fought in every conflict in the formation and shaping of our country, uh, just as you know, a citizen of every race has probably served at some point or another in, in uniform service. Right. But it wasn't until 1876 when the term Buffalo Soldier appeared in writing. The all-black regiments participated in many conflicts and domestic roles. Buffalo soldiers were often assigned tasks which include, included protecting settlers, building forts and roads, mapping the wilderness, and taking on the western frontier. They are best known for their prowess in armed conflicts, often finding themselves engaging Native American Indians, outlaws, and even being the individuals standing between Native American Indians and the Texas militia. So, Which is not a place I would want to be standing. No. So do you think that basically probably the white officers or white higher-ups were like, oh, well, we don't really want to mess with the Indians right now, so we'll send our black soldiers out first as kind of like a buffer and see what, hap- and see what happens before we get there? Because you're like saying they're standing in between. Kind of the... Yeah, I mean, there was... So there was six regiments, and they were stationed pretty much all across the U.S., but there was... Um, I mean, the, the 25th Infantry Regiment, which we'll learn about today, was stationed on Fort Missoula, Missouri, so they were, um, you know... they. I mean, they were just... They were known for their, their ability to work, their... Uh, their their endurance. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the other thing is, is the, the number of soldiers that were in the, in the army. So you got to think like we're, we just had our centennial, you know, 18, well, uh, around 1866. We hadn't quite had our centennial by the time that this, the six black regiments were formed and literally everybody in America is an immigrant. Like, I mean, right. you're just starting to have, you might have a couple second or third generations, but there's a lot of people. I think I read somewhere when I was doing my research, like, um, you might have 20% of a unit that doesn't even speak English. 
Okay. So no, I think I it's, it's just a, a breadth of diversity as it is. I've kind of got some just some historic background on the Buffalo Soldiers. So seasoned soldiers of the 9th Cavalry, which was a, a all-black regiment, were among the first arriving in Cuba after the infamous explosion that sank the USS Maine. Buffalo Soldiers fought alongside, and in many accounts saved their ass, Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders, helping to storm San Juan Hill. Five of the soldiers received the military's highest award, the Medal of Honor, for their actions during the Spanish-American War. Well, that Teddy Roosevelt gets all the glory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's and it's one of the things, uh, you know, due to a lack of writing and reading skills, there's not many first-hand accounts outside of what typically white officers or journalists or uh, maybe some of the few uh, educated and, and... Right, there was nobody to take down literate. their own history. Right, right, basically. yeah. Nobody so. was, they weren't writing letters home. They weren't um, um, communicating or, you know... Right, because uh, they never... They literally went from being slaves where they weren't given the opportunity to, yeah, to be educated. To and, and they be, they yeah. get jobs and they're still, you know, not being allowed to go to schools, even if they're, you know, there's even though they're not slaves anymore. Right. So, um, again, war in the Philippines, they trekked over mountains and through jungles to track and fight elusive nationalists. Guard, they guarded communication lines and escorted supply trains. Upon completion of serving in the Philippines, there were four, sol- four soldiers that remained at the Presidio in San Francisco, and they were just performing garrison duties. It was kind of the... Um, uh, deployment station uh, for the Pacific. Okay. From what I from what I read, and um, they actually had pre- Teddy Roosevelt. They got the honor of escorting him when he visited San Francisco, probably with a little bit of spite, <laughs> probably, and all of the glory that he received. Um, just kind of as a side note, the first black officer was Second Lieutenant Henry Ossian Flipper who received his commission in 1877 and was forced out of the military after four years of service to a a vengeful, you guessed it, white colonel, uh, which resulted in a baseless finding of conduct unbecoming of an officer. So uh, Bill Clinton, a mere 118 years later, rectified the uh, discharge of Lieutenant Flipper and he's now served an honorable service. So, all right. So, enough of the history of the Buffalo. All right. So that's backstory. Now we're so getting yeah. Into... So some, that's some backstory on the Buffalo Soldier. So, let's talk about the bicycle. For all right. Now. Cool. Full circle from what you brought up before. <laughs> right. I get it now. All right. So, the first contraption was by Giovanni Fontana in the early 1400s, and it was. A box that had gears and ropes, and I don't know how the hell it worked. Okay. <laughs> uh, just know that it had four wheels and was human powered. That's like he's kind of given some credit, credit, but really it was in 1817. German Baron Karl von Dreis made the first two wheeled steerable contraption. Think of it as like a modern day strider 
you know, like tod- you see with toddlers we okay, use to help with balance. So, so no pedals. Bike, no bike. You basically just either get Two going fast enough or you, you go, down a hi- go down a hill. Yeah, or cross flat, flat ground. Yeah. Or you can use it to carry weight up a hill. All right, because that's also the bummer, though, without pedals is you probably usually also don't have <laughs> you don't brakes. Yeah, yeah. So you got to be careful about those hills. Yeah. So Carl's 1817 lauf machine was wooden and lacked a chain and pedals so from this contraption many other forms of bicycle were created with names such as velocipede hobby horse drazine and the running machine so by 1863 pedals and cranks were added to create the bone shaker (laughs) that isn't that like a name of a uh like a monster truck (laughs) no (laughs) I don't think so, but maybe but it, Boneyard? But it should be? <laughs> yeah. But it was probably called the Bone Shaker due to its lack of suspension and the rigid wheel. There were many inventors working on the original idea, including French inventors Pierre Lalament, Pierre Michaud, and Ernest Michaud. Once the pedals were added, there were these were the first machines to be called bicycles. These machines often had a large front wheel with the smaller real wheel, or vice versa, and were difficult to ride as they were over four feet tall. Well, also, I can't even imagine. I've seen the ones with the big front wheel, yeah, yeah. and those look crazy to ride and also just hard to get on and yeah, off. Yeah. But also a big rear wheel yeah. doesn't sound like that works well at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in 1868, the first patent was granted for rubberized wheels. And in 1876, English inventors Browett and Harrison patent the caliper brake. Finally, Englishman John Kemp Starley created the safety bicycle. In 1885, which featured evenly sized wheels, pedals that were attached by chain to the rear wheel for propulsion, and brakes. The inflatable tires were later invented in 1888. Some other notable inventions that I thought were uh, pretty hysterical were the unicycle in 1870. <laughs> it took us... So wait, when was the first bicycle invented? 1885, uh, which was a safety bicycle. Okay. That's like the that's like the modern day bicycle. Okay, when was the... Sorry, I just and mentioned... The, so, so yeah, it's a lot. So the unicycle was in 1870. Okay. So this guy was like, why are we dealing with all these extra wheels? <laughs> we only need one. one. Exactly, yeah. Uh, the tricycle was in the 1880s. And then that guy was like, no, we need more wheels. Yeah, well, Those more guys wheels. were on more opposite people. sides of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And then the tandem bicycle in 1889 by William Starley and Herbert S. Owen. You wonder so. what was going through their minds when they came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, wait, <laughs> what the tricycle, what if we was? put all three wheels in a line and you could have two people You know it? what I really don't like is when we're both riding our own bicycles, <laughs> when I wish we could really just ride one bicycle together. <laughs> right. So the world was in awe of this great new invention. The bicycle craze, as it was called, started in the 1890s. And a story from the New York Times states, The bicycle promises a splendid extension of power and freedom, scarcely inferior to what wings would give. As as early as 1886, countries had started integrating the bicycle 
into their military formations. First tested by the Germans, and ultimately other European countries followed, such as England, France, and then you guessed it, the United States. Well, we were just a little late to the yeah, bicycle just game. just a little late. Yeah. So, all right. So now we're going to take a, we're going to re-step back and we're going to learn about Lieutenant Moss. Okay. So in 1894, James Albert Moss graduated and commissioned from West Point. Lieutenant Moss was the GOAT, <laughs> meaning he was dead last in his class. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. They didn't know about acronyms, meaning greatest of all time. So he was dubbed the goat. Okay. Uh, the records showed it was merely a lot of being tardy, not wearing spurs to writing class, mm. poor appearance at times, and just a general lower quality than his classmates. Who? Who does this sound like? Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, okay. Yeah, who also wasn't deemed to be of very high quality from West Point, but ultimately became president. So, he was Moss was not selected for any desirable positions and was essentially selected to serve as the officer in the 25th Infantry Regiment, which was one of the all-black regiments, based out of Fort Missoula, Montana. But Moss was white. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, as which was customary of the time, the white officers in sure. charge of the uh, all-black regiments. So, we don't really know a whole lot about him. Um, he seemed to be, I don't know, I would consider him a, nor- a normal person and, and probably just not as much of an a-hole or a prick that they wanted him to be. Because he showed a lot of uh, empathy in a letter that he wrote to his mother so when he got to Fort Missoula, he had a classmate that was selected to serve there as well with him. And his classmate became stricken with typhoid and died. And he basically was, um, as his classmate, you know, assigned to help out the family when they came to visit their sick son. Mm-hmm. And he wrote home to his mom about it. And he was just kind of like, this is terrible. This is an awful thing. You know, so he's just really empathetic. So once he, his classmate passed, he kind of dived and indulged himself in reading. And ultimately, he picked up some military drill manuals. Okay. Because while the bicycle craze was rolling, there were people thinking, how entrepreneurs thinking, how can I monetize this? Well, I feel like also a lot of the times we've talked about this in past episodes, too, is somebody comes up with a cool idea and then usually the military at least looks into it. Take my money. Yeah. <laughs> Take my money. Well, it's like the jetpack episode. How many times was the military was like, all right, we're going to try this again. Yeah, 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 yeah. One more time. Yeah. yeah. See, but the U.S. was really reluctant about it. There were officers uh, and, indivi- and soldiers just generally across the force and civilians who would buy bicycles out of their own pocket with their pay and develop these manuals. You know, they'd come up with drill and ceremony, like how to ride in formation and... That just, like, just imagining yeah, that, yeah. that cracks me up. yeah. So, but they were like, if I write the manual that the army picks up, I can, I don't even have to serve 20 years. Like, I'll just be done. Right. You know? Yeah. I did my thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, 
Lieutenant Moss was infatuated with these manuals and bought a bike and became uh, an avid rider. And he ultimately wrote to seek permission to form the 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps out of Fort Missoula, Montana. This request made its way up the chain of command to General Nelson Miles, the most senior man in the Army. And it was approved. I wonder if they're like, well, I guess it's in Montana, so they can't embarrass us way out there. But get this. One tiny little plot twist. He was given a budget of this many dollars. He's like, they're like, figure it out yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which usually also the, for listeners, the is like, Jeremy did money. zero with his hands. Yeah, zero dollars. They said, there's one little caveat. The army is not to spend a dime. Yeah, you can do it, but we're not going to help yeah. you at all. Right. So they gave this task to a lieutenant so they can just like... Yeah, he can be the fall guy, scapegoat. Right. It just gets sideways. They didn't give any money to him. So Also, I'm trying to think of like Montana in the late 1800s, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of great roads <laughs> for riding bikes on. Right, right. So, Moss, with the approval, Moss began sourcing bicycles. He traveled across far and wide to many manufacturers trying to find one who would donate for the purpose of research for the Army. Which, surprisingly, was pretty easy. (laughs) He sourced 10 bicycles to comprise of his bicycle corps from the A.G. Spalding and Bros. of Chicago. I wonder if they were like, our bikes are going to be the bikes that the military uses. That's what everybody was thinking that he ran into. Yeah. He kind of had to use the knowledge that he had and, and basically, I think pretty much the first one that said, yes, we do it, he said yes, because... Like, I don't know if anybody will yeah, offer yeah, this yeah. to me. It's kind me. of a gamble. So, now shipping, on the other hand, he had to figure out. So, now he's got the bicycle secured for free. And Spalding Company was like, well, I mean, we gave you the bicycles for free, so you're going to have to do some of the legwork yourself. And Moss actually footed the expense himself to ship the bicycles back to Fort Missoula in the name of public service. What a good man. <laughs> yeah. A story published on July 11, 1896 of the Daily Missoulin read, Army on Wheels, Bicycle Corps organized by Lieutenant Moss of the 25th Infantry. Experiments will be made in the rapid conveyance of messages and other things. (laughs) It proclaimed, Today is a red later day for cycling in the United States Army. The 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps has been organized at Fort Missoula, and is the first organization of the kind affected in the regular army. The object of the Corps is to thoroughly test the practicability of the bicycle for military purposes in mountainous country. The Corps is to consist of eight picked men commanded by, by Lieutenant J.A. Moss, and all of the men are very enthusiastic and there is no doubt that great results will be accomplished. The Corps is equipped with Spalding bicycles, which are exceptionally well suited for such work. These wheels have already been used very successfully in experimental work in the regular army and proved highly satisfactory. The wheels, complete with lamps, air pumps, cyclometers, and extra parts, arrived Thursday evening, and they are certainly a marvel of the manufacturer's art. <laughs> so this Lamps, was, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you, you seen those? Like a candle? You just ride around with a candle on your handlebars? Mm-hmm. You haven't oh, seen those? I would get lit on fire for <laughs> sure. 
He'd be like, I don't know, my candle, it's yeah. in my hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can tell, like, Missoula is pumped. Like, they're, oh. they're like, groundbreaking research going on in their yeah, neck of sure. the woods. Basically, and so the, the story's kind of misleading because it's like, like, this has never been done before, but these bicycles have been done, have been experimented with before. So there was, had been some research into bicycles themselves, like individually by the army, but never mm-hmm. as a unit. And so basically what they're trying to decide is like what kind of tactics are are available or could be efficient and effective. Right. Because right they... now you've got mounted cavalry troops. Yeah. Horses, which are still much faster than bicycles. Mm. That's what you. That's what you think. Oh, I was yeah. just thinking the downside to horses is that you have to like feed them and tend to them. Tend and if to you them. Have water. Yeah. And you're like you become really restricted by all of those things when you have really low supplies. Sure. So. So for the buffalo soldiers, training had just begun. Moss decided to utilize a manual that had been published by a fellow lieutenant who had written the book based on theory. And personal bicycling experience. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah, so he he actually found it to be quite helpful. However, some of the ceremonial drills were pretty impractical. I wonder if this guy was just trying to think of way too way too complicated things that to yeah, do on a bike. It, yeah, yeah, it was like you know how to like do all these fancy maneuvers, uh, you know, for a passenger review or or sure. you know some other yeah. form of uh, ceremonial drill. So, however, other drills proved quite practical. Some of the, uh, including scaling large fences that were nine foot tall, how to forge streams and rivers. Their training also included riding long distances, various distances, fifty to forty miles at a time. To help build and condition for endurance that makes and stamina. Sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once the 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps were trained, they took their first overnight excursion from Fort Missoula to McDonald Lake. With an average pack weight of the bus bicycle plus supplies weighing in at 76.2 pounds. Dang. Yeah. So that was one thing. Like Moss, he weighed every soldier by themselves. Then he weighed their... Uh, bicycle and pack weight Mm -hmm. and basically what they did is they you know everybody had like their own personal equipment like rifle ammo um, because that was the point of it was to test it for combat right and then they also had you know their tent and their bedroll and their water and and uh then they just they distributed the food amongst the men you know some people were just wearing carrying the flour and some just the cured meats and that sort of thing. But he was very meticulous about that. On August 6th, 1896, Lieutenant Moss and the Buffalo soldiers began their ride to McDonald Lake. They hit muddy stretches of road where the clay was so thick that they had to walk their iron steeds. Oh, man. <laughs> their iron steeds. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling between 10 to 20 miles before breaking. Uh, so that's the other thing. So, like, they were in sections... So, like, some groups traveled further than the other groups before they decided to stop for their first break on this first excursion. Just how far they thought Mm -hmm. they could go. Yeah. So, the first day, they traveled a total of 51 miles. Arriving on August 7th at McDonald Lake, the men were in high spirits. 
Moss describes the ordeal. Among many beautiful lakes in this region, Lake McDonald stands without a pier. Its waters abound with delicious trout, and two or three of the soldiers who brought lines caught them nearly as fast as they could pull them out. However, with wet weather on the return home, it was much more arduous with punctured tires and rain-soaked uniforms. The people they encountered along the way were very amused at the sight of these soldiers, but they offered words of encouragement more often than not. Okay. On August 9th, they arrived back at Fort Missoula by midday, having covered 126 miles in a matter of 24 hours of actual travel. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Their bicycles standing well to the test and the soldiers in high spirits. So, that's, yeah, that's... The fact that they're in high spirits after they had to, like, push their bikes through 20 miles of clay, that's yeah. impressive, yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah. So, for the next major training event, Moss requested a trip to the newly formed Yellowstone National Park. And on August 15th, six days later, the 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps... When everybody's still so sore <laughs> yeah, and tired... So actually, they're like, yeah, the sir, that was great. <laughs> yeah, so actually, the roster changed some from the first and the second expedition. You mean people are like, we're not, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, so best I can tell is they had kind of a like a pool of soldiers that were participating, like generally in the training and the exercises, and then they would select like the top five or the top ten. So like. You know, you would have like a morning training, like group A and a group B or something. Just because maybe it, it, everybody it was, was sharing bikes because there wasn't yeah, enough bikes for everybody. Maybe it's 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 it was really difficult kind of discern that in this research. I mean, it's you know the late eighteen hundreds and right and some of the details were better kept than others. So, anyways, so so they took off from Fort Missoula. By August 17th, they had reached Blossburg and could see the summit of the Rockies. Moss writes, We rested an hour, concentrating our energies and admiring the summit we were soon to climb, and to, and to whose charms we all thought distance would lend enchantment. About four o'clock, we began rolling our wheels up the mountainside, reaching the summit a mere 20 minutes later, and for the first time in history, a body of armed cyclists had crossed the main divide of the Rockies. <laughs> Headed down the other side of the mountain, they actually had to walk their bicycles because of the steep grade. The going was so rough, their fingers went numb, squeezing the brakes. Oh, man. <laughs> so That'd be terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, better than just, like, I, I wonder if there was ever a guy that was just like, you know what, I'm not walking. Like, this is dumb. We got I'm just wheels. letting loose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They resupplied at Fort Harrison and continued on to Yellowstone. While traveling westward, they came across fellow Buffalo soldiers on horseback. Like, the cavalry. Oh, you guys have bikes? That sucks. <laughs> yeah. The men hollered back and forth in a taunting rivalry. The cavalry awoke one morning to see the bicycle corps sauntering past, and their commanding <laughs> officer, Remington, recalled, After breakfast, the march begins. A bicycle corps pulls out ahead. It is heavy wheeling and pretty bumpy on the grass, where they are compelled to ride. They, but they managed far better than one would anticipate. So even the cavalry is like, eh. 
I, I just like, really wish that I knew who thought who was still cooler. Like, yeah. I, I wonder if the Bikes cavalry are... people were like, oh, that's no. so cool. Uh, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, they weren't. no, no, they were like, yeah, we're, no, ca- we got horses. we're Cav, we're Cav, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, <laughs> and they were infantry, so are these... there was just a discontent between And are them. these still like the funky bikes with like the large front wheel or are they no. just closer to bikes that we no, know these today? No, are, these are like the safety bicycles. Okay. That were created a year before. Okay, that's what I was thinking because yeah. I wasn't thinking that these like bikes with like nope. the big front wheel would be making it up the mountain nope. or nope. anything. These were the safety bicycles because they had, they, they were chain driven. Right. And they had uh, brakes and And they had brakes else. and everything. Yep. Okay. So... As the 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps made their entrance into Yellowstone Park, they were as much attraction as the boiling ponds and geysers. A bicycle-mounted infantry unit? (laughs) (laughs) On September 1st, 1896, the Bicycle Corps left Yellowstone and headed back to Fort Missoula. And by the 8th, they rolled back into the fort, having covered 790 miles in 126 hours of travel time. An average of 6.25 miles per hour. Pretty good time. That's pretty impressive for yeah. having to walk, too. Yeah. yeah, as much. And see, that's what's crazy, too, is, is uh, you know, the roads. I mean, you, late 1800s, like, you, Oregon Trail is still active. And, like. Yeah, they're just, like. Wagons crummy. are still the primary mode of method. Right. Or horses or feet. Yeah, no. they're, they're biking on these crummy, like, dirt roads yeah. that. I would hate to bike on today. <laughs> At least for more than three or four miles. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm I get you out for about that much I'm, at a I'm, time. I'm impressed by these guys. Yeah. So on September 13th, they conducted small-scale maneuvers with another unit of the 25th Infantry, showing the prowess and use of the bicycle for logistical scouting and courier means. These were considered highly successful and a great show for how the bicycle could be best used. In December of 1896, General Miles, the guy who authorized the whole thing, spoke to Congress and told the House Committee on Military Affairs each infantry unit should adopt a squadron of 10 bicycle-mounted soldiers. By the way, it was my idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but guess what? Leave it, for con- leave it to Congress for there to be no action. Of course. Yeah. So January of 1897, Moss, not wanting to lose the momentum that he gained, proposed another outing, a much longer and more arduous ride to the test to test the abilities and effects of the rider. Excuse me, to test the abilities and the effects of the long ride on the soldiers. Okay. A proposed route of nearly 2000 miles from Missoula to St. Louis, Missouri. It would be approved again. But the same tiny little caveat, it must not cuss the government anything. Although this time, there was a lot of competitors vying to donate their bicycles to the cause. Okay, because this one, they know is definitely going to make news. Yeah, yeah, it's much bigger. It's a 2,000-mile trip. Right. Additionally, this time around, there was going to be 20 Buffalo soldiers accomplishing this mission. Same thing, Lieutenant Moss has... No hard time. He selects Spalding Company again for their bicycles. They're the first one to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like they got in early and that was the right thing to do. But um, so 
of note on these this one I've got some information a little bit more about some of the participants just because okay. it's such a historic ride uh, the most notable Buffalo soldier is Sergeant Mingo Sanders who would later be discharged without honor alongside all members of the 25th Infantry Regiment by President Roosevelt for an incident in Brownsville, Texas. However, that occurred after this trip, and long before he was in Brownsville, he served in Cuba and the Philippines between the bicycle endeavor and when he got discharged. He's a pretty, he's a pretty infamous dude. Um, he only had, I think he only had one eye. Um, he had an exploding soda pop bottle that caused him to lose one of his eyes. He actually had to get an exception to join the army. Oh, so that was before he even joined the army. See, I'm thinking too, like it sounds like everybody's pretty cool with them, mm -hmm. but I'm also trying to put myself late 1800s, the West, you're seeing these black soldiers riding on bicycles and this guy was also one eye. Like yeah. I'm sure it was quite the, uh, yeah, the spectacle back then. Yeah. So, Sergeant Sanders, however, had a big reputation and was recognized by officers and fellow soldiers as a man of honor and integrity. Serving as a spiritual and motivational mentor to young soldiers, his ability to lead men was of the highest caliber. He enlisted at the age of 24 from South Carolina in 1881, and by this time in 1897 was the oldest and most experienced of the Buffalo Soldiers in the Bicycle Corps. He took on the role as the acting first sergeant for this cross-country adventure. In addition, since this trip was so large with over 20, with 20 soldiers, uh, there was a doctor assigned, Dr. James N. Kennedy, the only non-volunteer of the group. <laughs> he was reluctant to embark on the journey, but ultimately had no choice because the endeavor required a doctor. Did he have to ride a bike too? Yep. Um, that's why he didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. So basically he would serve as the second in command if something were to happen to Lieutenant Moss. A civilian, Eddie H. Booz, a journalist, was in charge of providing complete and accurate accounts of the journey to newspapers both big and small. So oftentimes they just travel through and they just needed somebody to go send a message, a telegraph or whatever, and he was their guy. Their numbers totaling 23, the 25th Bicycle Corps set out on the morning of June 14, 1897, long before the rest of the fort was awake. As they left, farmers who had awoke to tend to their fields waved and cheered them on. <laughs> Gung-ho were the soldiers in the face of the daunting task. They made it 54 miles that first day before being forced to huddle under the protection of their tents as the rain poured down over them. The rain raged on and attempt as they attempted to wait it out, but the rain merely slowed to mist, so they continued on the next morning about 10.30, with rations already running low. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, unique to this endeavor, they had developed these drop points. Lieutenant Moss knew it was nearly impossible for them to... It was impossible for them to carry all of the provisions they would need for this journey. Sure. So they utilized the railroad system already in place and would resupply every so often um, as they reached them. But that was the problem. They had to reach them. <laughs> they struggled a few times. In addition to the provisions, they utilized the muddy, poorly developed roads, as we've mentioned before. They went occasionally riding along the bumpy tracks of the railroad 
that crossed the country and were oftentimes the only passable route. A typical day went something like this. They rose, they rose before sunrise, managed breakfast, and were on their bicycles by daylight. The men rode until ten and knocked off until five in the afternoon. Then they pedaled again until dark, or later if the moon was out. So basically they take an afternoon break because of the heat. Right, so it's time to, you know, get some food, drink some water, maybe take a short little nap. Oh yeah, oh yeah, nap for sure in there. When they reached Livingston, Montana, some few days into their travel, <clears throat> they were met by large crowds encouraging them, and they were even offered a drink at a local saloon by a veteran. Nice. They spent a lot of time entertaining questions and hunting fresh meat in Livingston before finally taking off. On the morning of June 23rd, nine days after they began the journey, they reached Billings, Montana, where they were resupplied via train from one of their many drop points. As they left, the rain again began to pour, turning the soil to a thick clay, forcing them to once again walk their iron steeds. (laughs) And as they crossed the terrain, the wind began to pick up, which posed the most difficult of obstacles. Fighting a headwind, they entered into Wyoming. (laughs) Oh, that Wyoming wind. Never stops. Can't stop, won't stop. Jeremy and I lived in Wyoming for almost a year, and I don't think it ever stopped blowing. Blowing. Yeah. Ever. Not once. Yeah. It's gorgeous country. Gorgeous country. We were at the base of the Bighorns, and it was just I just remember, it's crazy when you live in a state where there's signs on the highway that says, hey, don't drive, it's too windy. (laughs) You'll get blown off the road. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. On June 24th, they made it to Fort Custer, where they spent some time resting and reflecting on the battle that had occurred literally two decades earlier to the day at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Sorry, if you're not familiar with history, that's... Customers on the stand, kind of a big deal. I don't know. You might check it out. <laughs> You're listening to a history podcast. <laughs> After they spent some time reflecting and resting, they continued on, crossing the Little Bighorn River six times. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Each time relying on their skills and training to ensure safety of their equipment and themselves. As they got deeper into Wyoming and closer to the Dakota, the water sources became less reliable due to the alkali, which often poisoned travelers of the Old West. Did you know that? I did not know, but it's kind of a bummer to have to cross a river six times and then just a little bit later running out of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty disheartening. Yeah. So. You're like, there was just so much water back there. <laughs> rain. The, I thought the rain would never end. You know what yeah. I would give for some rain right yeah. now? So sorry. I, so now we're jumping. We're jumping forward a couple of weeks to July fourth. They kind of spent the Fourth of July kind of in the middle of nowhere. So a lot of times they end up super close to to towns and these checkpoints that they're supposed to be getting to. But because of bicycle repairs that are needed and fatigue and everything else, they just end up having to stay like you know just ten or fifteen twenty miles away. Sure. So on July 4th, they passed through Fort Robinson, Nebraska, and the local newspaper from nearby Crawford read, It was nearly 4 o'clock when the Corps started down 2nd Street. At a lively gate, Professor Gungle's 9th Cavalry Band greeting them with the strains of Annie Laurie, as only that band can play that piece, while the thousands of spectators lined the sidewalks on either side of the street, 
rent the air with the wildest cheers to speed them on their journey. So just imagine this 4th of July, it's, it's 1897, and, and this bicycle corps is just going on this endeavor. You oh, know? yeah. It's just, like, so inspiring. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's still, like, I feel like bicycles, like, even though a lot of people are starting to get into them, they're still kind of a new thing, oh, yeah. too. Yeah. And so to see, like, these bicycles coming in on a day that everybody's also, like, out and about and partying. Yeah, like, yeah. Celebrating the yeah. birth of our country. <laughs> I bet it's really cool to see. Yeah. But by July 5th, as the Corps reached the sand hills of Nebraska, Moss fell ill from the deadly oasis, the uh, alkali water. Uh-oh. <laughs> Having drank too much of it, he was out of commish. And none other than Dr. Kennedy was in charge. Like, I didn't even want to be here. <laughs> Did you forget about him? Because I forgot about him when I was reading this, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah what are they yeah, you have to go put them. him in like post <laughs> yeah the men suffered through the sand hills and temperatures that were unbearably hot and quite literally caused the men's feet to blister however they were not prostrate they moved forward determined to show the american people the power of the bicycle and the strength of the buffalo soldiers by july 17th lieutenant moss would rejoin them just as they entered missouri Moss proclaimed that Missouri was by far the worst. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I think he missed out on the sand hills. Like, there was this 170-mile section of that he desert. Just, that he just kind of 100, bypassed. 110 degree plus weather, or temperatures. And also, riding a bike through sand <laughs> does not sound great. Yeah, that's why their feet were blistering, was because they were they walking. Because they were walking, because mm-hmm. you can't ride a bike through sand. And he doesn't even go through the sand hills, and he's like, well, this place sucks, and yeah. like, you don't even know. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I should ca- I should caveat. Um, so typically, they would, they would occasionally have riders fall ill, and what they would do is they would... Um, Whenever they got to the nearest town, they would either send them forward by train or they would rest in that town and then move forward by train to get caught up to the crew, uh, to the core. So Moss basically, you know, spent 12 days recovering as they traveled through these desert sands and then caught up. I think Dr. Kennedy Everybody, probably Dr. wanted Kennedy to kill Dr. Kennedy was like, don't. Just <laughs> yeah. don't. You don't even know. You made me ride a bike. Through, the, Like, you left on the worst part. I didn't want to be here. <laughs> By now, Uncle Sam's riders, as they were known, uh, were notorious due to booze reporting efforts. The men were treated with open arms in Missouri, Onlookers aghast at the undertaking these soldiers had achieved, coming all the way from Fort Missoula. However, in Missouri, but not 20 miles from their destination, due to the disrepair of some of the bikes and the heavy rains, they were stopped. The end. That's it. That's it. That's the story. It's over. 20 miles. Almost there. And they all quit and they went home and they never, nobody ever rode a bike again because it sucked so bad. (laughs) That's how my butt feels. That's how my butt feels after... (laughs) They all cursed bikes for eternity and never rode one ever again. Yeah. Nope. False. They recovered, and on July 24th, they were received by the Honorable H.V. Lucas, head of the Associated Cycling Club's reception committee. 
Along with the Honorable H.V. Lucas, there was a group of over a thousand cyclists that had gone to escort the Corps through town. Along the way, Sergeant Collins a squad of, and a squad of mounted police joined the escort and proceeded down the streets to Forest Park. The streets were lined with people greeting them and cheering on these accomplished men. Upon reaching the Forest Park, they celebrated the achievement, eating heartily. A news article notes the sight of the men coming into town. As the soldiers rode up the hill at the cottage and dismounted, they bore in their looks the evidence of the forty-odd days of severe travel over mountain and desert for a run of almost 2,000 miles. They wore blue jackets of jeans, brown canvas trousers, brown leggings, and a soft gray army hat. Their short blue coats were strapped with blankets in the front of the handlebars. A rifle hung across each man's shoulder, and around his waist was a belt carrying 50 rounds of ammunition. Canteens rattled against the frames of the bicycles, and luggage boxes and cylindrical coffee pots were fastened to the wheels by thumbscrews. While at Forest Park, they were well looked after and did not have a worry, as the Associated Cycling Clubs treated them to feast after feast while, by, while bedding down there. They had spent 34 days traveling with an average speed of 6.3 miles per hour, faster than their Yellowstone run. And also, I feel like they didn't have the blistering sands of the sand hills. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty impressive. They covered an average of 55 miles a day. This trip provided the feedback into the need for improvements in wheels and overall durability of the bicycle, which was huge in the private sector. Um, this was, you know, this is a, an invention that is just so new and unique and developing that that input from Lieutenant Moss was huge and played well, a big part. I'm sure it boosted sales all over. Right. And he actually played a really large role in, in because he was so meticulous in his reports and he kept... Um, you know, what I didn't talk about today was just like the massive list of parts that he took. And, you know, he just took such good notes during this whole process that they were able to, to analyze this trip um, and determine, you know, what worked and what didn't work. And you had these Buffalo soldiers who were just so trained and conditioned and performed so well that literally the bicycle was almost their limit. You know, it was right. what the the... The operating limits of the bicycle was their limits to operate it. While there were many endearing reports of the bicycles and their ability to move units quicker than the horse, requiring less maintenance, and were quite sneaky, ultimately there was never a uniform adoption of the bicycle due to the progression of the motor vehicle. Yeah, I feel like that probably mm -hmm. put a pretty big kibosh on the whole thing. Yeah. However, this was... A true testament to the Buffalo Soldier's grit, and against the odds, through courage and strength, they made a seemingly impossible task possible. Good story. Yeah. I like that story. Yeah. So, I just, so I, I wrote down, like, my th my top three reflections at the end of, the, end of this. 55 miles a day. <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot of miles on a bicycle on a bicycle <laughs> like not... think about okay just like imagine where you're at right now think of a place that's 55 miles away 
getting on your bike and going there. And then and, and then, then back and forth for 34 days. And then think about doing all that on probably not great bikes to standards today. And then no also, suspension. And then also on very bad roads. Yeah. Like, that's so <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Oh and gosh. it's 76 pounds, average of 76 pounds yeah. with the bicycle's weight. Yeah, and they're hauling stuff. Oh my gosh, that doctor dude must have hated his life. <laughs> yeah, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> so I am happy to hear, I know you said in one part where they were mainly thinking about using him as scouting and like his couriers. Mm-hmm. Part of me was kind of worried that they were going to like take these into battle. And then I was like thinking about people riding bikes and like shooting guns and that's no a lot of the military manuals talked about how they i'm would, sure a lot of people manuals and then everybody's like mounted no. machine or like mounted guns oh my gosh mounted machine guns well on not the machine of, guns but yeah but yeah mounted guns like, on like the, a gatling gun yeah, on the yeah. front of a bicycle <laughs> yeah yeah you couldn't carry an fm on that thing would break oh my gosh and how hard would it be to keep it upright yeah impossible yeah so, for my references, I want to give a huge shout out to this first one, because this is the first book that I've read in two years <laughs> since starting law school for just enjoyment. Yeah. Um, it was Iron. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was making a joke that I can't say the, that word. And now it's... What word? Iron. <laughs> I can't say it. I had, to, I had it figured out, and then you just screwed up. Iron. No, I, yeah, that word. What word? Oh no, <laughs> I, iron. <laughs> no. Um, yes. So, great book, Iron Riders by George Neal Sorensen, Riders of the Bicycle Corps by Mike Higgins, at bicyclecorewriters.blogspot.com. The Buffalo Soldiers Who Rode Bikes by David McCormick, an article at historynet.com. And then for more information on bicycles, check out The History and Evolution of the Bicycle, evolo.com. Pedal Your Way Through Bicycles' Bumpy History by Evan Andrews at history.com. All right, so you ready to know who the uh, first president that had to address the UFO sighting was? I'm so ready. Truman. Okay, but it does it does make you wonder about UFOs. Yeah. If it took all the way to Truman... To address them. Yeah. So, and also, I should I should have given credit. This was a user submission, or a listener submission. A listener submission. Thank you, Jens. Uh, I guessed Abraham Lincoln, because he was also slaying vampires. Uh, oh, yeah. As everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. From that, Abraham Lincoln, the vampire From that historically accurate film. Docu-series. Yeah. <laughs> uh. No. And I'm surprised that it took till Truman. Yeah. But I also wonder if like other presidents had learned about UFOs and then they were just so hush more hush hush about it. Yeah. I don't know. But hmm. interesting thoughts. Yeah, I loved it. Um also this week in history it is of note SpaceX Falcon Nine Demo two launched and the Astronauts aboard successfully docked with the International Space Station. They were able to get out of here, out of Earth, Earth just in time. Escaped. Before who knows what June brings us. Right. If you liked this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. 
We appreciate it, and that helps other people find us. If you would like to know more about this story, find out, you know, click on Jeremy's sources for this story, or check out our sweet merch. We've got some tank tops for the summer on the merch well, store now. How many do we have in the mail <laughs> coming to us? We have two. It was supposed to be for a surprise. Me. Oh, but... I'm still surprised. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But so check that out at americathebazaar.com. You can support us by um, to help us create more episodes and future bonus content by going to patreon.com and searching for America the Bazaar. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay, stay weird, weird America. America.